Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Hello, Final Girl. Hello, Final Girl from a distance. I feel like going, well, no one can see us. We can see each other by video, but I'm, yes, I'm cupping my hands around my mouth as if to do some sort of yodeling, echoing. (laughs) This is, this is me pantomiming that we are, we are communicating via distance. (laughs) Smoke signals. Yes. Due to our changed, our current global changed circumstance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, as everybody probably knows, unless you have been hiking the Appalachian Trail for the last, you know, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but even they know, and we can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> what it is later. <laughs> um, so, uh, we are practicing social distancing and isolation due to COVID-19. And um, Lori, I was all about, which is probably really stupid. I was all about, like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just us. So, you know, it'll be fine. And uh, Lori wisely said, no, let's figure out some other way to do it. So... Yeah, and I I actually, even though we're, we're doing it, and I think that, you know, we're recording remotely, and I still think it's a good idea. I still, there's still a part of me that feels a little stupid about it. Um, I think the overriding factor for me was the fact that where I live now, I live in an old house, and it's uh, converted into apartments and there are only four apartments and there are only four people here and it seems like everybody here has been self-quarantining pretty robustly and it just occurred to me that more than anything they might not appreciate me having a (laughs) guest over in the building uh, that makes sense and i think that's actually the um way that we should be looking at all of this like you know, you can do whatever you want uh, if it's only you and your immediate family that you're putting at risk, right? But like, if you're, if you've got other people around, um, you want to minimize that as much as possible. Yeah, and I think it, you know, it, it, it speaks to, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we talk about the movie that we chose inspired by COVID-19, but just the, the different thought processes people go, go through, you know, when you're trying to understand a very different situation. I, I won't say any more about that now because we that'll be that'll be fodder for the fodder as we as we get into the movie that we chose and the and and the, the plot. Um, and so the movie that we did choose for this special COVID-19 uh, <laughs> episode of Dear Final Girl was Invasion, Invasion of, of the Body Snatchers. Snatchers. <laughs> and we chose the 1978 version. Because Donald now, Sutherland was surprisingly hot in this. And a ginger. <laughs> I want to agree with you really bad because <laughs> I, 
I like him. He, it's so odd. To me, it's just so weird to see him young. Yeah. Because I feel like I've seen him old for so long, but mm-hmm. he, he just looks so youthful and so... His features are so so chiseled, and <laughs> I don't, I don't, his hair is so curly. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I and uh, I didn't even realize until uh, the movie started playing. I was like, "Ooh, Jeff Goldblum's in this! A young Jeff Goldblum." Yeah, Very I got really exciting. excited when I saw his name in the title credits too. So, I have, oh, and I have... and Leonard oh, yeah. Nimoy. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna I'm gonna bottle uh, the hate that I had for his character until we start <laughs> talking about him more later. Um, yeah, he, he makes me really mad. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I did ask you, and I, I meant to ask you this before, but we might as well ask it as part of the episode. Yeah. So why did you choose the 1978 version over the original version? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I, I thought this was the original version. Um, and then when I was looking through, you know, trying to find a version to stream, uh, then I saw it, you know, like, oh, 1954, 50, whatever. Uh, I was like, oh, oh, this is not the original version. Um, I wonder... You know, it'd be interesting to see what the differences are. Have you seen the the original version? I think I have only seen very small snippets of it. Okay. Um, so yeah, not and and it is one that I want to watch, but it's interesting. I of the two, the the nineteen seventy eight version was the one that I just wanted to view more at this point. Um, I don't know why, maybe just, I mean, it's certainly not current. It was 1978. It's already, what, 42, 42 years ago. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, newer, certainly. Um, but, yeah, so and so shall I, shall I do a brief plot summary? Yes, please. Okay, so Invasion of the Body Snatchers opens um, uh, on another planet. Um, we see these strange... I don't know. To me, they were like these penis balloon animals. I don't yeah, know definitely they... said they looked like space smir- space sperm. <laughs> yes. So these organisms are activating on another planet, and they make their way to Earth. Um, Earth is their host planet. They manifest here on Earth as a unique plant life, actually like a very beautiful flower. Hmm. Um um, but behind this beautiful flower, um, uh, it, its ultimate purpose is to colonize the earth. Um, this life form, these plants do this by like shooting out these hairs or fiber, fibers or tendrils. And when people fall asleep, uh, um, these plants make contact with a sleeping human, essentially tap into their DNA. Um, so that they can replicate them and like completely replicate, you know, every human being, uh, make an exact duplicate of that human being. Um, each person is reborn um, out of a, a pod 
Um, they're wrapped, you know, in this kind of almost like they're wrapped up like in a spider's web, these plant tendrils. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and when they awake, when these replicants awake, you know, they're just like they're just like the human, the original human in every way, except there's there's no emotion. And all of the human beings essentially are being taken over so that so that all of humanity is this one kind of centrally mind controlled um, population of people um, and and real humans uh, are their target. Right. Um, so it's kind of how, you know, related related to COVID, like how 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 does this how does this grow and spread? You know, how does this happen? How does it grow and spread? What are the different reactions of the characters to the developing situation? Mm-hmm. How is how is society adapting? So, yeah, good. That would seem like a good choice. <laughs> yeah, I and I think that that's a really good point. That it's not so much the like obviously COVID doesn't uh, replicate people and it doesn't replace them. Um, the fear, however, can. Yes. Um, and how people react to the fear um, and anxiety that these, um, and uncertainty of the virus uh, spreading around is, uh, is pretty poignant and uh, close to what I think is going on in the actual movie itself. Um, the So we have, uh, let's do a little minor rundown of characters. Donald Sutherland yeah. is Matthew. He works for the health department. Um, he's in love with Elizabeth, who also is a scientist for the health department. She works in the lab. Yeah. And her boyfriend or husband or something um, is Jeffrey, and he is a dentist, but he is sort of like uh, 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 sorry. He's like he's a big sports fan. He's super into the Warriors uh, basketball. <laughs> that you know that was a sort of, but I guess. That was part of the characterization too, right? That we were um, given that he's almost like a sloppy dude um, who's super into sports. And then he, like once he gets snatched, he's like clean cut and uh, very stoic. Um, yeah, and I think that helps. You know, honestly, when I, when I found out he was a dentist, I was like, he's a... <laughs> A dentist because the way they introduce his character it's like you said i think you know they do that so they they can set up but they they can show us that something about him has clearly changed right. because he seems sort of like more like this free spirit i thought maybe he was an artist of some of some kind but when he just like you said when he's taken over he's like mr clean cut he's in a three-piece suit mm-hmm. and clearly something something has changed Right. So he's he's the first person um, that that um, you know that is taken over, and so the original alarm is raised really through through Elizabeth, right? Um, saying that he's just like, look, he is just 
it look you know it looks like he looks like Jeffrey he sounds like Jeffrey but that is not Jeffrey right um and we also see briefly um Elizabeth talks to Matthew and is like hey that's not Jeffrey something's going on and Matthew uh, is being, you know, the the crying shoulder here. Um, and he suggests that she goes to a shrink. <laughs> but it, before he can get Elizabeth to see the shrink character, he also hears from a guy at the la- at his laundry his laundromat. Um, yeah. And the guy at the laundromat's like, you work for the, for the health department, right? That's not my wife. There's something wrong with her. She's been taken. So it's we know that this, that uh, it's spreading. Yes. And there's actually a, a third situation where that happens. So, yes, he's gone into his laundromat. He's interacting with the, the woman at the cash, you know, at the cashier's register like normal. And that's when that's when her husband pulls him to the side, like you said, and is like, "That is not my wife." Yeah. Then there's another situation, and I can't remember if it happens like at that book party, or if it actually happens before the book party, where the psychologist, played by Leonard Nimoy, mm-hmm. is. But it's another situation where a woman is, you know, really distraught and saying, "My husband is not my husband." Right. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, you're right. It was at the book party. Uh, the The author's name, or the psychologist, uh, is Kibner. That's Nimoy's character. Um, and he is trying to calm the woman down, saying, go home with your husband. And Matthew takes Elizabeth out and they go like outside of the book party and Matthew's like, hey, this is my friend. Listen to her and try to figure out what's going on with her. Which is like, I'm sure by 1978 movie standards is not that big of a deal. But like by today's standards, it's like there seems to be some HIPAA violations going on here. (laughs) Like, this is not exactly uh, above board, but okay. Um, Yeah. yeah. And, like, we can get into this. Well, I'll save it. Like, I have a lot of hatred for this Kibner character, and I think you're supposed to. Yeah, me too. We we even did a... We, when we were talking before we started recording, that's like one of the first things I think I said that it was like, I hated him so much. And I'm like, let me just, let me just bottle my hate and save it for the episode so that we can really, right, (laughs) really talk about him. So one of the things that, one of, one of the things very early on, I, I thought I thought that um, when Elizabeth, you know, it's through Elizabeth that we first learn, like, hey, something's wrong. Um, uh, what is her boyfriend's name again? Damn it, I Jeffrey. Jeffrey. So I think we really hear through her before we really see much of anything that's different. I feel like this film asks us to suspend disbelief really quickly. Oh yeah. Now look. 
we're we're movie viewers. We are watching a movie called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You you know that you're going to be suspending disbelief right from the very beginning. But it it throws you in the middle. I felt like pretty fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think it threw me off a little bit because I feel like, wait a minute, I'm I'm not liking, I'm not invested yet, and you're asking me, you're asking me to be maybe at a deeper level more quickly with this plot than what I'm ready for, and I really just thought how this whole suspension of disbelief. I immediately thought about about COVID before I get in before I kind of talk about that and make correlations what did you think did did you have the same did it hit you the same way yes so there was a lot i mean uh, in addition to the like space sperm in the first 30 seconds of the movie um and then I wrote down, uh, microbes drifting off into space looks a lot like space sperm. They're coming, ha, a long way to San Francisco. <laughs> it's in the rain, dread, ominous wet foliage, but also goop. Uh, so it, yeah. like mutation into flowers. And then like almost immediately after that. So you get all of this like drizzly rain and fog which is san francisco but it's also like ominous music and then you get like a priest on a swing and he's like watching these people pick these flowers it's really weird um, that was that was strange yeah it was like a, it, like this feels like it got dropped in from another movie right, right. it's like somebody from the exorcist <laughs> spliced in um but uh elizabeth oh um then you know it's probably five ten minutes into the movie that we finally meet elizabeth and her dick of a boyfriend jeffrey um she's trying to id the plant he's just trying to hook up with her um, but not even really listening because he's also paying attention to the basketball game and she's like reading them. Um, um, and then like immediately cut to Matthew finding a rat turd in this fancy French restaurant. And like the ominousness of him driving through those empty streets with the broken windshield so all of this is within the first 10 minutes of the movie and it, it's definitely giving you lots of things are not what they seem clues. Right. Um, and it's, and, all, and it's almost yeah, like two by four metaphors here, you know, like they're like smack you with a two by four. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because I wasn't even entirely sure. <laughs> I know this really doesn't matter, but it's like I wasn't entirely sure that it was an actual rat turd in the soup. And it doesn't it come out later that it wasn't a rat turd. It, he actually told somebody else, "Hey, this is a caper." <laughs> like I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what the point of all of all of that was. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think in uh, in my mind that was like 
oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good point. Um, but maybe it was, maybe what it was, and I feel like I've got something bubbling here with related to COVID. Um, we, we, we have in the beginning this scene of like the health department is involved. Uh -huh. They, they inspect things. They <laughs> identify things that are public, could be public health situations. Mm -hmm. And then you've got like, the Mac Daddy of public health situations, which is everybody's being turned into pod people. So maybe, maybe, maybe the maybe the point of discussion there is that um, how how things are relative, and when some when some new bigger thing hits, it automatically puts all other kinds of situations that rearranges reality. Uh-huh. And, and reprioritizes what, it. Yeah, reprioritizes everything. You know, it's interesting because so we you and I are both in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um and I'd say not more than two weeks before COVID started to really feel real here in Tennessee and in Nashville. Nashville and our Middle Tennessee area was hit with these really devastating tornadoes. Yeah. So we are dealing with like this double whammy mm -hmm. of, um, of both of those situations. And I think that the, tor the tornado already changed our reality. It's the kind of thing, oh gosh, if anyone is, I don't know if anyone has ever seen the the impact of a tornado. You you have not only the the devastation. The you've you've got places that have just clearly been completely devastated, and then you have this surreal situation where like a couple houses over or a street over, mm -hmm. those properties are completely untouched. Right. And so, gosh, there's almost like analogies <laughs> with with COVID, like who is affected and who is not affected. Mm -hmm. And and yet you really want to, even if you're not, with, with the tornado, it really did hit the city hard. And even though neither one of us was personally impacted, we didn't have damage. I find myself really trying to root myself, like really thinking about my community and not feeling like this is a situation that doesn't affect me because right. it, does, it does, it does. And it's the same with, it's the same with COVID. It's like, how do you be really present and responsible and not get into this mindset of like, Oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, people just, you do, you, I don't know what it is about the human mind where you just feel like automatically like, yeah, I'm not going to get sick. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know that. Right. The, the, uh, um, sort of immortality. I think that's what, what is really interesting and what I didn't take a whole lot of notes on because it just seemed normal. Uh, but Matthew Oh, well, I guess I did take notes on it. Um, he, at one point, uh, they know that people are being duplicated. Um, 
This is after they've gone to the bathhouse. Jack, the author, um, who uh, he and Kibner don't get along very well, but he and his wife own this like bathhouse with saunas and mud baths and whatever. Um, and they see a version of Jack getting replicated, right? Right. So this is where, and then Matthew comes in and they all see Matthew, Jack, and the wife's name, I think her name is Nancy, um, Jack's wife. He, all three of them now believe. And they are trying to uh, do whatever they can to stop this thing. And the way that Matthew knows how to stop this is by calling the police, calling the mayor's office, calling basically like digging into the bureaucracy, which is what he would do at the health department. And he's right. basically stuck in a bureaucratic hell where people say, we don't want to create a panic. People are returning to normal. Uh, mm -hmm. I want everyone to see that I'm back to normal. This was uh, the the wife um, the, yes. at the from the book party. Um, right. I want everyone to see... Yeah, everything's fine. People are returning to normal. And I think that that really jumped out at me when I was watching this. Like, the I know that things are not great. I know that there is uh, something wrong here. And yet everyone who's quote-unquote in charge is saying don't panic it everything's fine we're all safe everything's about to t return to normal um which like you know in the case of invasion of the body snatchers people aren't dying they're just well they basically are dying because they are no longer themselves um right. You know yeah it's interesting because the the whole the whole response in the film it's like you know it, people are starting to return to normal it's like the bureaucracy has never acknowledged prior to this the problem mm -hmm. and yet in telling everyone there's nothing to worry about they're saying things are getting back to normal right isn't that weird? Like, I find myself thinking, you know, that's probably happening. Some version of that, you know, is prob is is could very well happen with these, you know, with these newscasts that we see, like all these press conferences, mm -hmm. and it's just interesting how the the bureaucracy in the film is so ready to calm is so ready to say to, to say things are back to normal yet they never really acknowledge the underlying problem well and what we find out not very far or what we find out but matthew doesn't know so this like situational irony um is that correct that we know but they don't know i don't know is that situational like <laughs> irony um but that 
what we know and what Matthew, Jack, Elizabeth, and Nancy don't know is that the police, the mayor, and the psychologist, Kibner, are all in on it. They've already been changed. They've already... So uh, I think Elizabeth kind of figures it out later, but we find out because Kibner is like, gives Elizabeth a sedative and says, everybody just needs to go to sleep. Um, which, and then he goes outside and gets in a car with Jeffrey. And we're like, ah, he's one of them. Yeah. And you know what, you know what really struck me is now this was, this was the late, the late seventies. There was a certain unique, this is when psychology, you didn't just hear the term psychology. You heard the term pop psychology yep. because the, the role and the benefit, you know, of mental health practitioners was not accepted on the level that it is today. Um, there was, I mean, look, every, every generation spawns, you know, kind of interesting movements, you know, things mm-hmm. that we think, oh, this is going to be the next great thing that's going to save us. Yeah. And, and I guess, I guess the word I'm looking for are fads. So mm-hmm. even, in, even, even in psychology, there can be fads, there can be, and some of those fads can be, you know, kind of crazy and off the wall. And I think that in the film through this character, you know, it reflects the 1970s understanding of like, or this, this whole pop psychology mentality. But, but what is very similar is that you can, you can, in any field, you know, you can have people who become very powerful and influential voices in their field Mm -hmm. to the point that they can then influence other decision makers. So how interesting it was that Matthew as, you know, a a deputy, a deputy, the deputy public health official for the city, assistant deputy. Right. He he can't get a voice with the mayor and with, course uh, we don't realize at that point that it's because you know they've already been taken over but right. see, he doesn't know that either uh-huh. he did you know Matthew doesn't know that either which speaks to the fact that he knows like even in my role <clears throat> I can't get an audience with these with these officials that I need to but you Mr. Pop Psychologist you've got their ear Mm-hmm. And they'll listen to you. And can you please get them to get on a phone call with me? <laughs> and it's just, you know, it kind of made me think about <clears throat> with the crisis, you know, with, with, the, with the COVID-19 health crisis, who are the public voices? Um, who are people listening to? Mm-hmm. Um, which voices can we trust? What influence... Do they have on one another and where is there some welcome independence? Like right now, like Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci with the CDC. I mean, to me, he is like the rock star of the whole thing at this point. Um, because um, I'm really impressed that 
that in these press conferences where both he and Trump are there, you know, he will directly, <laughs> you know, contradict um, something that the president is saying if he feels like, hey, these are not science-based statements. He's been very careful. Really? I have not watched any of those press conferences uh, because that sort of thing um, sort of triggers my anxiety. Not the press conference itself, but listening to um, the president speak falsehoods uh, openly and... Even like that sounds like it is reassuring, though, that Fauci is getting up there afterwards um, and saying, no, this is incorrect. This is this is what's available and this is what you should be worrying about and things like that. Yeah, it's it's, you know, this and this, you know, I've seen an example of this happening within the same press conference. They're both standing there. And Trump is talking about how he feels about things. Mm -hmm. And Fauci comes on and says, well, you know, I appreciate the president's feeling about this from a scientific perspective. Right. (laughs) We must look at it through the lens of A, B, C, and D. Um, And I watched um, Trevor Noah um, had had about a 15-minute interview with Fauci. It was a really good interview. And what 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 Fauci had said is that what 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 everyone why everyone should be taking COVID so seriously, he said, is that this looks like the kind of virus that that I have always been most worried about. Hmm. It's 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 respiratory um it's highly infectious it seems to spread very very easily and very quickly um and not for everyone but for a certain well increasingly the population that is being affected is changing but it then 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 when people become symptomatic then in the population, it has a high rate of morbidity and mortality. So he's like, it checks all of these boxes of the kind of virus that we've always been worried about. And maybe I'm just sitting here saying this. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. I certainly don't want to, you know, like cause cause any extra concern. But this is a scientist Right. Speaking, speaking objectively about, and I, I think it's good because it's, I, and I, I think on some level it probably must have affected me and was part of the, part of the reason why, you know, I was like, Hey, maybe we should do this remotely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. There's so many things about my, uh, daily life that have changed um our daycare is not going to be open on monday which actually uh which means that we have had to find alternate daycare um and you know i'm working from home and uh doing a lot of things to kind of protect us but then there's still like 
you know, you go outside and it's 80 degrees and other than everybody like keeping a good six to 15 feet distance from one another, it doesn't feel like there's anything different. It's, it's a weird, eerie thing. Um, you know, we went yesterday to kind of drive by the house that we're buying and I don't know, it felt like, it felt like driving around on a Monday morning instead of a, uh, a Saturday morning, you know, mm -hmm. just because there were so few people out and, um, I don't know. There, I, I think that the feeling of all of this. I mean, if uh, I don't know that we're ready for lessons on the movie yet, because there's still a whole lot to talk about. But like the uh, what the lesson felt like to me was that like. Uh, if you think something's wrong, don't continue to pretend like it's normal. Like you should, right. you should stop and pay attention and start <clears throat> focusing on the ways that, um, that you need to change or need to do something about the situation. Yeah. And that's, that's why I was so, you know, the, I was so frustrated with Leonard Nimoy's character again we don't know until later that he's already been taken over which i think is a kind of a it there's definitely a commentary that is being made about pop psychology oh yeah because it's like it's like oh you couldn't you couldn't tell you, you didn't know he was just that way you know right but the fact that you have a situation where <clears throat> you've got now three you there are now, there are now, there's a common group of people who are talking to one another who either have heard or observed <clears throat> or heard through other people. Someone saying, This person in my life is something is not right. Something is not right. So then they're starting to be, okay, this, there's more than one example of this and it got me thinking about like with COVID how long how long does it take us to hear that something is different how long does it take us to then really begin to absorb it and then finally how long does it take us to change our behavior as a result of what we have heard and are now absorbing and what are we now doing differently right as a result um there's so many lessons in that, that it, like the, let's just pretend for a moment none of this is happening and this is just a normal sunday i mean can't we all benefit from this lesson of like how many times does it take us how long do we have to be in a situation that re clearly requires us to think and act differently before we actually begin to do it? That that's going to be that's going to be a lesson 
when we get on the other side of this. I mean, that's that's just like basic. How can we be better human beings to ourselves and one another kind of stuff? Yeah. No, so. so I think that what really hit home for me is that like we started this movie right off with this sense of dread, this, uh, you know, things are weird and ominous and like the, the gelatinous goop falling from the rain. But it's not until, gosh, an hour. So this is a two hour long movie. Um, and it's not until like an hour and 30 or 40 minutes in that the first, well, I guess maybe it's just the last of several, like the people being born from the pods is weird. Um, the, the, um, when you see Jack's, uh, body, sort of covered in hair that's weird and the tendrils are weird like the uh when why can't i remember his name now matthew uh falls asleep in the garden and you see the pods there and you see being uh you know these pod people being born from the pods that was really gross right yeah but then you see Matthew kill his own pod person. Um, yes, that was a good, I thought the special effects there were really good. Yeah, yeah, surprisingly good. Yeah. Shit doesn't get super weird until an hour and a half in where you see... So in the very beginning, there's a guy sitting outside of the health department playing a banjo and he's got a dog. And I was like, Ugh, ominous banjo music? Like, didn't think this was a thing. I guess deliverance. But um, <laughs> but then the Matthew walks by the banjo player later and he and his dog are asleep on the ground and... Then, when Matthew and Elizabeth are, like, trying to stone face and trying to fit in just to, like, get away, the dog runs up with the banjo player's face on. And that was the weirdest part of this movie for me. And, of course, Elizabeth loses her shit, and that's what eventually gets her killed. Um, Right or taken over or whatever but uh that to me was like the last straw like even this isn't (laughs) even like the the microbes aren't even like intelligent they did like a the fly switch there uh another gold blue (laughs) movie um no, I want to talk. I want to talk about that in a minute. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, but you know, the that was like, oh shit! Like shit's hit the fan now, and like this is this is a big problem. Although I was disappointed later because Elizabeth loses her shit, and then they start running. 
And then they're like down at the end of this pier or whatever. And she busts her ankle and you get a close up shot on the fact that she's still wearing heels. They're like a low, you know, sensible heel. But still, like the first rule of the apocalypse is don't wear heels. Exactly. You know, but I'm always impressed um, by how amazing uh these women can run in these heels and keep up with these dudes who are in their little yeah. worn out shoe leather you know <laughs> yeah isn't it interesting that it's like the, the the banjo player's face on his dog that it's like that in in a in a situation like like what we're in with with COVID, we it's almost like it, it takes something has to be exponentially weird and different for you to then go not I mean you, you know the royal you we <laughs> to go like you know holy shit yeah okay now I fully understand and realize. Um, I'll tell you a moment like that that happened. I mean, it doesn't rise to the level of a human face on a dog. Right, right, right. But in terms of Tennessee, and I would say it's more at the state level. I'm not as critical on the local level. But basically, when you have the governor of an adjoining state, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. calling your state out... And saying, I am urging Kentucky citizens not to go to Tennessee because we don't really feel like they're being as stringent yep. about telling people to stay at home as as we think they should be. And they're even, you know, there's, I mean, the question was asked about whether the Kentucky governor would consider closing the border. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't happened yet, but it's like when your state gets called out publicly, right, for not doing, you know, what other, what you know, what other governments, state governments feel are enough. You're like, well, shit, you know. Yeah, uh, it's it's frustrating and problematic to say the least. Uh, it's frustrating to be in one of the states that, uh, like, they're just like, well, you know, thoughts and prayers. It's like fucking thoughts and prayers. Great. You know, everybody kind of just do their part. And I mean, I have to wonder, and I, I asked a friend of mine this, because the, the language that's being used is safer at home. Right. Um, it is not a mandate to stay at home. It is people are being strongly encouraged um, to not make any trips that are non, non-essential, you know, grocery store you need you need medical care. Uh, a friend, a friend has a health situation. Certainly not, you know, not. I don't know if they're saying go help someone with 
it'll be a nursemaid to someone who has COVID. I don't, but you know, if you have someone in your life who, who needs, you know, can't get out or whatever. Yeah. Drop off um, food or something like that. And they did, they had actually, when they put the little points up on the screen, they basically say, you know, don't visit family. They have said, do not visit family and friends unless it's absolutely necessary. So I feel like the state is, is coming along, <clears throat> especially that don't like, don't, don't go visit your family and friends unless you have to, like, just don't do it. But the language could be stronger and it hasn't risen to the level of mandate. And I found myself wondering, I don't, I don't want my, I don't want my politics to come out and I'm not trying to make this about politics, but I would say that, um, you know, one thing that characterizes historically a Republican is less government involvement. You always hear this term, big government. Big government needs to stay out of our lives. Our governor is a Republican. I mm -hmm. find myself wondering if, if it's still part of that kind of Republican position that the government not over intervene. But this is a very different kind of situation and he needs to get over himself if that's part of what he's doing. So. <laughs> I saw, yeah, I don't want to be super political, but I, I thought that this was interesting. A, a really, um, you know, that the, the Republican party could go in, you know, I don't know when this happened. I can't remember. It must've been right around the year 2000 though. Um, this is the party that uh, made such a big deal about uh, Terry Schiavo and now like taking her off of a ventilator. And now they're saying like, we don't need any more ventilators. We'll be fine. It's like, how, how can you have both of these thoughts in your head at the same time? Like, let's maybe let's, I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know either. One of the, um, I want to, I want to call out a couple just, just movie related, you know, just the, oh. the, fun of, the fun of cinema, the magic of movie yeah. related. You were talking about Jeff Goldblum. He did, oh my God, his, he just did his character so well. And I thought to myself, like, he could have just used his clips from this movie as his audition tape for The Fly. Uh-huh. Because he just had that nervous affect. And, of course, it is a situation where there is this, there is this medical anomaly. You know, there's this, this medical anomaly that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that blood plug in his nose just looked so weird <laughs> it was just like it just really looked like this red piece of plastic yeah stepped in his nose that was meant to represent the sort of aberrant nosebleed <laughs> know that something's not quite right here that that was kind of funny to me. so <laughs> funny thing this morning um i got up early and you know did my stuff and then, you know, got breakfast and um, the baby was waking up and I went and blew my nose. And one of the weird things about pregnancy is that you 
can get bloody noses because you just have so much more blood in your body and your capillaries kind of just <laughs> in your nose kind of can't handle it. Um, so I actually had a bloody nose, but the baby was ready to get up. So I had to shove toilet paper up my nose just like Jeff Goldblum's character. And I was thinking about is that, that this morning. That was, is that what that was supposed to be? That he, Because I was like, is it that there's so much of it and then it's caked and it's probably just not blood anyway that it's formed this big clot thing? Or was it supposed to be that he had shoved some gauze up there? I think he had shoved something up there because Nancy was freaking out and she hit him in the face. Oh, I must have missed that part. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he, you know, he was freaking out because his nose was broken or whatever. Um, or had it, she had at least given him a nosebleed. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the other cool, like, you know, magic of movies moments was very early on, Donald Pleasant, uh, you know, Matthew and Elizabeth are driving down the street and this man just jumps in front of their car. Yeah. Is acting hysterically. Um, and that that man, that actor, uh, that, that character was played by Kevin McCarthy, who was in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh. And so I thought it was so cool that they gave him a cameo. And he's basically like this voice of doom, like they're coming. Yeah. You know, and then it, they, they, you know, they're concerned about him. They lose sight of him. And then they round this corner and they see him just, you know, lying, bleeding in the street. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a great, it was great to have, to have him uh, have a cameo. And I mean, totally close up too. I mean, it is, he is right up in their windshield. Um, oh, and what about, so what, the, the, the metaphor the metaphor of that busted windshield. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, the obvious is just that no one can see clearly. No one can see the whole picture. You know, the normal view and vision and perspective we have on things is cracked, mm -hmm. even though it's not normal. But it was really, I think it, for me, it increased my sense of anxiety because there were these camera shots from their perspective, you know, in the front seat of the car. And it is frustrating. It was, I, I was getting frustrated looking out that window, not being able to see, you know, Jack. Yeah. So, uh, I felt the same way. And also, you know, Donald Sutherland's character, Matthew, is driving through the streets of San Francisco and he's looking at Elizabeth the entire time. And I'm like, yes. your view is obstructed. You keep looking at this woman in the car. Like, you need to pay attention to the road. And then yes. he nearly hits the guy who's like, they're coming for you. They're coming for you. Yeah, and you knew that was going to happen. It's like, anytime that happens in a movie, it's like, damn it, you're going to hit somebody. Like, you know, that sense of dread, that just sense of creeping, you know something bad is, is going to happen. I don't even know. How can you drive around in a car with a windshield that is that freaking busted? I mean, you can't no, see no. anything, <laughs> you know? Maybe that's yeah, another example of like, 
you know, what, like, how we prioritize how we take care of things and what does it take to motivate us to go, you know, I really gotta, I gotta get that mole looked at, you know, I gotta have that conversation. I gotta deal with this situation. Right, right. You know, what's um, interesting to me is that when we first meet Jack at the book party, uh, Goldblum's character, he's mad about Kibner's book. He thinks he's a fraud. He thinks that he... uh, There's a point where Jack says, and I think this is a really incredible line, he's trying to change people to fit the world, and I'm trying to change the world to fit people. And I thought that that was like, that was the whole movie right there. Can you actually repeat that, Tamara? Because on my end, the audio, like I couldn't actually hear what you say that again in case our listeners might have that. Well, Well, the microphone's right here, so I think they got it. But just so that we can (laughs) still discuss it. um, Jack says, Kibner's trying to change people to fit the world. And I'm trying to change the world to fit people. Oh, yes. And that, like, it sounds super pretentious. It's It makes Jack seem really pretentious and awful. Like, you're at this guy's book opening and you're just being hateful to Kibner. And then, like... As the movie goes along, you're like, oh, no, that's right. We need to change the world to fit the messiness of people. Um, Because if you try to change people to fit the world, you end up with the invasion of the body snatchers. You end up with pod people. You end up with everybody the same. And um, can we talk about who survives? Yes. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Well, I mean, if if I'm remembering correctly, it's the surprise that at the end, it's Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a final girl. (laughs) We do have a final girl, you know, and (laughs) Veronica Cartwright plays hysterical like nobody else. (laughs) What else is she in? Oh, Alien. Oh, okay. Alien. Yeah, she, she, I mean, that's the other main thing that I know her from, but she is able to do this. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like a, a simmering panic, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of controlled, but not controlled. She's not screaming, but she, oh my God, she just emotes, you know, so, so powerfully. I was not expecting to see her um but you know um she she is our final girl and unfortunately she is also a bit of a plot device because she's the reason that that we get to see donald sutherland doing the whole shrieking yeah (laughs) contorted face that's like okay well we were not quite sure where is he is he not and then it's like uh okay yeah he has been matthew at the end yeah he yeah he has become one of the pod people right and i i thought that that was a really interesting thing that they did that 
there like the use of background noise in this movie is really yeah. interesting um there was a point um early on in the movie where there's sirens happening and i actually had yeah. to pause the movie for a second because there were also like fire trucks going by in my neighborhood so i it was like weird surround sound i was getting the sirens from the tv but then also from behind me, and I was like, oh, God, what is happening? Um, it's so funny you say that because I I probably at the same at that same scene, I paused the movie because I could not tell if it was the movie, if it, if it was also coming from outside. In my situation, it was not, but it seemed like it was, which I thought, well, damn, you know, the sound engineering on this movie is really great because I don't even have an extra sound bar on my TV right now. And I think it comes, it's coming from the outside too. Right. The, uh, then right before Elizabeth gets taken over and she busts her ankle, they're out at the end of this pier and they're about to find out that they're putting the pods on the ships. There's sort of like these amazing grace being played on bagpipes and that so that's you know it's pretty close to the end it's after the uh banjo dog um (laughs) but then uh when matthew is walking around the city by himself and we're not sure if he's infected or not you still you get that uh drone of amazing grace still sort of going on in the background which like i i I wonder why they chose amazing grace was it like you know some sort of religious overtone i don't don't know well i kind of because it it was actually real music that was was in in the movie itself like in the narrative right where was everyone hearing that was that like being played publicly or was that just part of the soundtrack of the movie? I don't know. I don't know. It feels yeah. like it was like piped out of speakers because that's they were following yeah. it and that's how they found the ship where they were um, shipping off the pods. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that there's so many things in this movie that are like meant to convey okay but not okay okay but not okay and that music is is definitely one of them because i think of every every funeral that i've ever been at Uh uh-huh where they play amazing grace and just this feeling whether whether you're religious or not this feeling just comes over the room, you know, everybody is sort of in this moment together. You know, we may all be processing it differently, but it's a, but it is, it's, it's a unifying, it's a unifying piece of music. Right. Um, and yet in the film, it's, it's meant to calm on some level. It's meant to reassure Yet in this movie, if it's being used the way it appears to be being used, it's kind of like to, it's just part of the mind control, which Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're very anti-religious, you could argue that so is Amazing Grace 
under normal circumstances, but, but yeah. you know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's part of the, it's part of the control. It's not, it's not actually that great. Yeah. I mean, there's, when I was thinking about sort of the metaphors that this could stand for outside of, you know, the, the, the metaphor that we're talking about it in, um, the reality that we're talking about it in. Um, I think that, um, well, I know that Kibner says not long before the end, you'll be born again into a new world. Don't be trapped by old concepts. You're evolving. The function of life is survival. Um, and the like the born again into a new world that was a little like okay thanks for the religion you know but then it's like it takes a big turn at the end to be like religion is mind control and (laughs) okay i feel like but that to a certain extent that also fights against what's going on in the rest of the movie because Matthew and Elizabeth are scientists and they see what's going on and then they end up getting taken over. So I don't I don't know how well that fits or if it's just you know my tendency to jump to conspiracy theories about movies. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, you know, there's a point at the film where she is urging the, I I guess he's, it seems like it's her boss, Um, her boss in the lab that she works in. She brings one of the flower specimens in. Yeah. And she's like, look, just, just test it. It's all I'm asking you to do. Just test it. Like this flower is not in any book. It doesn't. And it, it, it came out of nowhere. Something's not right. What is it going to hurt to just test it? It's not even going to take that long, you know? And it's sort of that where, where, where science comes in with like, let's slow down. Let's put, let's put these, the, let's put, you know, let's put these ideas like through the paces. Mm-hmm. Let's test let's let's verify what we can let's let's try to let's try to get to as many knowns as we can get to and let's not let let's not get attached to the unknowns especially the ones that provoke fear so you know very clearly here i'm talking about about the COVID situation. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that, you know, lines up, that parallels pretty pretty clearly, like, the lack of willingness or availability of tests and whether, I mean, you know, you could get into conspiracy theories about whether the tests are available and they're being withheld or if they really just aren't available for various reasons. But it's like... How does Germany have this and they're testing everyone, but we don't, but... Right, right. Let that one go. It reveals so many um, situations like this lay bare the major cracks 
in the systems that we rely upon and that we just take for granted. Of course, a hospital can get supplies. And of course, we're going to have enough ventilators. And of course, if we need to engage, um, you know, a large scale testing response that we can do it. You know, it just it just highlights the fact that we 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 suspend disbelief about preparedness and what our government can do and actually do and how the the relative health of the major response systems that are needed. We do, we do that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and these situations just lay bare exactly how prepared we are or unprepared. Um, or unprepared we are, yeah. yeah. Um, there was, <laughs> I've got to, I got to plug at my computer so I don't drop off. Um, <laughs> my, I don't know if this happens to other people, but my mind will extrapolate, uh, my brain will like extrapolate one situation on top of another that they totally have nothing to do with one another probably help if I gave a specific example, is there was a scene in Invasion of the Body Snatchers where I'm watching it, and I thought to myself, like, man, there are a lot of people out on the streets. Like, there should not be that many people out. And I'm like, wait a minute, you goofball. You know, the movie is not, you know, the streets of Nashville. But right. did that did that happen? Did, that, did you do that at any point where you're like, you took something and laid it over? And I'm like, oh, my, I'm not even, I'm, no. Every time I watch TV now, so, um, ooh, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> we watched Tiger King on Netflix. Have you seen this? Have you heard Everybody of this? Everybody is talking about is, that. I've got to watch it. It is fucking nuts man um like uh bleh. <laughs> so but that's like the only that and like parks and rec are like the only things that we've been watching on tv lately because i'm not staying up late enough to watch a bunch of tv um but um what I've seen there and I've seen it a lot on Twitter too is that people talking about how weird it is to see people, you know, in TV shows that were recorded forever ago, see people strangers walking up to one another on the street and holding, you know, shaking hands, not holding hands. Um, but yeah, like there are those points in the movie where Elizabeth is following Jeffrey and he seems to be going out and meeting up with strangers and they're all standing in this close circle, like a four foot <laughs> diameter circle. And you're like, no, don't. Everybody should be getting back. <laughs> like, go That's wash right. your hands. Oh, you just passed something off to somebody? Like, no, go away. <laughs> like, don't, don't take that, that from him. Oh my gosh, it's just, yeah, that. And then, and then that, it hits you like, oh, I'm completely laying this situation on top of this movie right. that was shot 42 years ago. Right. <laughs> so do you, th- have we, um, 
sufficiently. I don't know that we hated on Leonard Nimoy as oh. much as I I thought. Maybe we should. I, I, are we getting are get, we getting close to a, a conclusion? I probably have to pee anyway. So yeah, um, uh... <laughs> but but yeah, I just his. Oh my god, his character was so repulsive. Um, I don't, and I'm trying to be really careful. I mean, obviously, it's like you said earlier. It's like we were supposed to feel that way about him. You kind of felt that way about him even before we knew that he was a pod person. And I, I haven't yet fully processed why I hated him so much. I think it just seemed like he had a false kind of authority. Uh-huh. Um, he seemed to want to, it just seemed like he, he thought he was right about, about everything. <laughs> that was what it was, you know, that it was just like there was some sort of, moral superiority uh-huh. he he knew how to handle the situation he wasn't really listening it was more important for him to talk at people than to listen to them so well and i think that you know everybody check your watches it only took me an hour and 10 minutes into this episode to talk about the patriarchy but i think that uh <laughs> i think that um Kibner is sort of that symbol. Um, if you if you think about you know 1978, the second wave fem- feminism had kind of like a- almost started sloping off and become part of society, right? It, it's not weird that Elizabeth is this scientist working for the health department, um, but Kibner says like Kibner says to people who are trying to interfere to Elizabeth don't interfere let her husband take her home and then he says to Matthew take her home to her boyfriend and then he's kind of joking like well Kibner says it first just take her home and Matthew and Kibner are kind of like ha 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 there's no time for that you know I can't believe you'd suggest that I would take her home with me and (laughs) Kibner's like ha ha you know take her home to her boyfriend and like very funny Matthew let's make a rape joke um but you know she needs to go home and get some sleep and sort of I, I can't tell. I, I It's probably just my lens of viewing this mu- movie is that, like, she is, she is in more danger because the men in her life are not believing her about the danger that she's in with her own boyfriend in her own house. Yeah. And Kibner is actually, like, he's actively putting more women into danger, specifically Elizabeth and the lady at the book party, by saying, she's fine, she'll get over it in the morning, don't listen to her. It's just because, uh, oh, he actually said... Oh, well, this is because the family unit is shot to hell. Isn't it more likely, 
He says this to Elizabeth. Isn't it more likely that you want him to change because you want to get out of the relationship? Yes. Like, oh, fuck you, Kibner. Fuck you. <laughs> yes. It's sort of, there is, there's definitely the implication. It's probably more than an implication of if you just go home with your man you know, everything will be okay. And I think there's even sort of like a a layer beyond that, like almost like you just, you need to get laid. Like it wasn't like you just, you need to get laid. Yeah. You need to go home and let your man lay you. And that's the, uh, (laughs) the classic hysteria argument, right? (laughs) Like hysteria of, of, you know, the same root as hysterectomy, you know, the woman's craziness. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that Kibner, they chose really well with Leonard Nimoy because yeah. he was able to do like the stone face thing. So we could actually believe that, yeah, maybe he was trying to help. Um, but then uh, when is it? Oh, Oh, how does Kibner show up at Elizabeth's house when Matthew sneaks in and then steals Elizabeth? Or maybe he doesn't show up. Maybe Kibner shows up at Matthew's house after he's already there. I think it is at Matthew's house. There were some, there were some kind of, yeah, there were some kind of jumps at various places where I felt like I'm, I'm having trouble. I feel like I've lost the plot a little bit, which, you know, it, it may very well be because the plot was lost. I don't know. But. <laughs> well, any, uh, any, um, I certainly want to encourage everyone to stay safe. Yeah. Um, Wash stay your hands. Stay safe and healthy. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's. That is still one of the major, whenever, whenever you hear like, okay, when the, when the rubber meets the road, what are the precautions that, that you can take? It is absolutely, you know, washing your hands frequently, um, you know, wiping down frequently touched surfaces, um, don't touch your face, which I think I've done throughout this entire episode. Yeah, but you're at home um, and you've washed your I'll, hands when you came in, so you're fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll wash and I'll wash my hands uh, <laughs> right after we're done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely have an elevated level of, of quarantine right now. Um, it's it's groceries and gas, and if um, there's something that I need outside of that. Um, I will buy it online. Um, are you going into the office? No, we are complete. We are completely directed to work from home. And he- this is, a, you know, another example of how it changed. I-, I remember just waiting, just waiting for that email to come through, mm-hmm. encouraging us to work from home. And and then it came. You know, it was like beginning Monday, and I think it was, might have been 13, maybe Monday the 16th. And then I think it was a week later that encouraged became required. Right. Um, 
And um, so, yeah, I've been working from home for a good, it feels like longer than a week. It may have actually, it may actually be almost two weeks at this point. And, and, and it, it is until further notice. They haven't, they have not set a, a date. And what about you guys? Uh, we are working, everybody's remote, um, working from home. A lot of people, it seems, um, from my company have gone to like their parents' house and things like that. Um, but then uh, they said they're following the mayor's guidelines, which were to shut everything down through the third, you know, encouraging everyone to stay at home through the third. Um, I don't know if that's going to change this week or not. Um, I bet it will. Cause it's like, it's March 29th. And like, I feel like we haven't even peaked. We haven't even, I mean, and I want everyone to hear that. I said, this is just what I feel. I have no, <laughs> I'm not basing that on any kind of, you know, algorithm, but it, it, it feels like April 3rd. I, I can't see anybody going back. Yeah. When you're, uh, when you look at the, the charts and you know we're recording this what two weeks before it's supposed to air yeah a, a week or two before it's supposed to air and um it's you know things may be much much different than because the the charts that show like when the number of confirmed cases is doubling by the day we definitely haven't peaked we we're still moving quickly and we might like i could definitely see us recording um a little a new little intro um to lay on top of the you know to lay in front of this so that when people hear it it's a reminder that we recorded this on march 29th and if it airs you know mid-april then you know we will have that perspective in a couple of weeks from now as to how different things are even from today so yeah yeah Yeah. all right well final girl you stay final girls final boys and final non-binaries everybody stay (laughs) safe and healthy out there protect yourself and know that in protecting yourself and in taking the appropriate steps um, you are protecting other people. Yep. Yep. I, I, what she said. <laughs> <laughs> and it's wonderful to see you, my friend. You it's too. Wonderful. Yeah. We should do this just like, because so. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, everybody stay spooky. You can still stay spooky, but stay, stay safe as well. You know, I think this is a perfect time to set up your, uh, own spooky, uh, pillow fort in your living room and just, you know, spend half your time there and half your time working on the computer or work from the pillow fort, y'all. <laughs> work from the pillow fort. I'm down with that. <laughs> Spooky pillow fort. All right. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much. And uh, see you later, final girl. Yep. You too, final girl. Bye. Bye. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of Horror, but that's all we are. 
people struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there too. Take care.